Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com and the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit this October in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. He's the guy who used to run the subject of this week's Fine or Wine. When we get to that part, pay close attention. Let's see if we think he would have done back then what he thinks the airline should have done now. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, there's rumors out there that he's trying to get his employer to change the name of their popular show to At Home and Now. But I don't know how how effective that'll be. It's NPR's (laughs) Here and Now transportation analyst, Seth Kaplan. Yeah, that's what everybody's doing these days. Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, we're going to talk about whether one pessimistic new indication really is a canary in a coal mine, or if it's just singing the same song we kind of knew all along. And these days, not as many travelers, as usual, are singing, stuck in the middle with you. Is that about to change? First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with the week's news. Yeah, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, right? Well, for a couple of months now, we've had somewhat of a dichotomy. On one hand, ever since the second big wave of COVID-19 cases started in the U.S. back in June, we've had airlines talking about softness in bookings. The numbers hadn't actually gone into reverse, they said, but clearly, and not surprisingly, you could see an inverse relationship between COVID-19 trends and airline booking trends. In May, the virus looked like it might be getting under control. People started booking flights again. In June, it looked like it wasn't under control. And sure enough, well, you know what happened. But despite all that commentary about softness and forward bookings, record numbers of people, well, for the COVID-19 era anyway, continued traveling. Far fewer people than in normal times, of course, but more people on many days than on any day since April. And that continued to be true until a week or two ago. For example, on Sunday, August 16th, about 863,000 people passed through TSA security checkpoints in America. Again, 863,000. No, that's nothing like the 2.6 million people who traveled on the equivalent day in 2019, but it's also nothing like the less than 88,000 who flew back on April 14th. That was the quietest day. In fact, those 863,000 were the most since back in mid-March. And they continued an upward trend despite, again, what we had been hearing for some time about future bookings. So we kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And hear that sound, Ben? Yep. That was the other shoe dropping. (laughs) Now, Sunday is usually the busiest day of the week. And and for several months, each Sunday was better than the Sunday before. But that trend has gone into reverse. Again, that 863,000, remember that number. That gave way to just 842,000 the following Sunday. And by August 25th, 
just 523,000 people traveled that day. Now, sure, that was a Tuesday. It shouldn't be as busy as a Sunday, but 523,000 was the lowest number for any day of the week since way back on July 4th. And very few people ever travel right on the holiday itself. Uh, So for, let's say, a normal day with fewer people, you'd have to go back to late June, almost two months earlier. Ben, again, maybe not a shock based on what we have been hearing about bookings. But what do these numbers tell us, if anything? What do you think when you see those numbers And, uh, and, and contrast them with what you know and what you've been hearing from airlines? Well, the numbers are concerning, but I'm having a hard time, Seth, trying to assess causality for these numbers. And let me tell you what I mean. I've said before on this podcast that we used to joke when I was at Spirit that September was a six-week month because it started in the middle of August, right? Yeah. And seasonality of the industry in the U.S. is that from about the middle of August into September is about the weakest six-week time of the industry in general. In a good year, no COVID. So if COVID had not existed at all, the industry would see this kind of relative trend of Sunday to Sunday kind of travel. But I don't know if the normal seasonality or what used to be normal seasonality is COVID seasonality either. Because one of the things that drove that normal seasonality is that kids were going back to school, so there's no more vacations. But nobody's taking a vacation, and almost <laughs> no kids are going back to school. Right? So, yeah. so, so I don't know if those same things apply. So I look at these numbers, and part of me gets concerned that, oh, no, does this mean that bookings are actually pulling back because of COVID? Or are they just pulling back because it's the end of summer? And normally business travel would start to pick up a little bit at this time, but you wouldn't see those numbers until September probably. So my answer, Seth, is we just don't know enough yet. We don't know if this is a sign that COVID fears have increased enough and air travel, people are even less confident in air travel now than they were a few weeks ago, and that's driving these numbers, or is something like a non-COVID normal seasonality happening. And then we'll see how the business side of that plays out as we go through the fall. I'm really not sure which one of those is true right now. And I certainly hope that it's not a sense that it's more dangerous to fly today than it was a few weeks ago, because I don't think that's true at all. Now, I will also say one other thing, Seth. I saw this graphic. I don't know if you've seen this, and maybe some of our listeners have, that was sort of a color-coded way to think about safety in the COVID era. And they had things rated from one to five, with one being the most safe and five being the riskiest kind of behavior. And oh, one like, was, like eating in a restaurant versus yes, exactly you know, right. indoors like, and outdoors and all that. Yeah, That's right. Like eating outdoors was a two and eating indoors was a three. Right. Right. And staying at home was a one and getting your mail was a one. Right. And going to a movie theater was like a four. But on that scale, airline travel was a five. 
and they had a picture of an airplane. They said air travel is a five. And I thought that is so unfortunate for the industry <laughs> for someone to put that out because it's not a five. If it's a three to sit inside at a restaurant, then it's a three to fly on an airplane or maybe even a two. Right. But there's still this sense that there's risk. And I hope that these numbers don't suggest that the general sentiment is that it's riskier now than a month ago. Because and airlines I, are doing more and they're getting better at the cleaning and they're getting better at the mass compliance and all kinds of things. So it should be safer now than a couple of weeks ago. And sure enough, as you were speaking there, I pulled up the numbers and looking at the equivalent dates a year ago, and, and uh, I thought I, for sure I would catch you in a in a huge exaggeration or a lie, but, no, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what I would find, but, but sure enough. Yeah. The, that Sunday that was a little weaker, August 23rd versus the 16th. If you look at the equivalent days a year ago, the earlier date, 2.6 million people traveled and the later date after school would have started back then 2.5 million, a lower number that same, uh, Tuesday with the, you know, 523,000, the very low number, same thing uh, last year, that weekday was weaker than the same Tuesday a week earlier and considerably weaker. So that at least suggests that although we can't prove the opposite, I mean, again, you'd rather see these numbers coming off of very low lows going in a, in an unambiguously positive direction, it is at least possible that it is as much a result of the usual seasonality, even though everything in the world is different, than a, a, as a result of something worse. So we'll, well have you know, to maybe, see another month or so of, of data here before we before we really know. Yep. And maybe by next week or the week after, using these numbers, maybe we could do a little math and look at sort of the percentage change last year, week over week, compare that to percentage change this year to yep. maybe get a sense, is this COVID plus seasonality or can it all be explained by seasonality or whatever? And I don't think we'll be able to get to an exact answer, but might be good right. to re revisit this topic in a couple of weeks with some new numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, at least enough ambiguity there that just eyeballing the numbers, both explanations are possible. Ben, this is something that could change at any time, but I want to ask you about another dichotomy and one that for now at least is becoming a little more complicated. I'm talking about Airlines blocking middle seats. I can ask you to sing again. Uh, four major U.S. airlines are basically at least not selling middle seats. Those are Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, and Alaska. I say basically because Delta going forward will sell a middle seat if three people are traveling together. Delta figures a family would be happy to sit together anyway. I'd say it's making a big assumption there, perhaps a miscalculation, right? Hey, sorry, honey. I'd uh, <laughs> love to sit with you, but you know, COVID, they blocked middles, right? Well, anyway, when Delta made that little change, it also made a bigger one that extended its guarantee that you won't share an armrest with a stranger into early January. In other words, covering Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, all of it, right? Kwanzaa, Festivus. Name your holiday. It's, it's, it's in that period. Southwest Alaska and JetBlue, at least at the moment we're recording this, are only going into October. Now, Ben, 
you'd think that once an airline insurer does want to extend the policy, it might as well go ahead and announce it and and get whatever marketing benefit it's going to get for as much of the booking curve as possible. So that makes me think those airlines are at least considering joining other airlines in not promising a middle seat empty of strangers. Can you walk us through what's going on in the minds of airline executives as they make these decisions in the context of everything we've heard? Everything from Delta saying the doctors at Emory University say this is what you got to do to United saying this is all a PR stunt and everything in between. What's going on in their minds? Everything in between. By the way, speaking of the holidays, I heard that Spirit was raising the price to bring a Festivus pole on board. (laughs) (laughs) that's where they get (laughs) you that's right Um, so there was this MIT study a month ago or so right where the professor named Arnold Barnett did this statistical study of does it raise your risk of getting COVID if you fill the middle seats or not and that was reported in the media that MIT says you almost doubles the risk to fill the middle seat And then you read Professor Barnett's study, and he didn't really, his numbers sort of said that. But what he really said is, what this looks like is flying on an airplane has no more risk than anything else you would do in a COVID environment. Because the absolute numbers were still sort of really, really high in terms of the risk of anything happening to you. So... You've got that study, which almost sort of says you might as well fill the middle seats. And Arnold Barnett may disagree with that conclusion to be that blunt, but went so far as to say it's about the same as doing anything else you would do. Flying is, I mean. And then you have um, airlines who who have decided to block the seats and airlines who haven't, but you don't see in the data meaningfully different sort of load factors. It's not like people are avoiding United and American because they're not, when they're not blocking seats and flocking to Delta, JetBlue, Southwest. And so you say, well, maybe the people, maybe people are choosing the carriers who are blocking seats because they feel better about it. And I certainly feel better about not sitting next to someone I don't know. But that's also true in a non-COVID world. But I also but I also feel even more better about it now in a COVID world if I were flying. So I think that I think that Scott Kirby is crass but right when he says it's a PR strategy. But I think the airlines doing it know it's a PR strategy. They're saying, look, there's not that many people flying, so it doesn't cost us that much to fill these middle seats or to not fill these middle seats. So why not give everyone the confidence that they'll have an empty seat next to them? And confidence is the game we're all trying to play right now, is to get make everybody confident to fly again. And American United have taken the view, and Frontier have taken the view that, well, you know, doesn't matter. We'll fill every seat if we can make money on it. I think that um, all airlines are going to sell all their seats again at some point. And the question is how long the airlines who are blocking seats will feel that it's justified that it that the economics 
of building confidence in the flying populace by letting them know they won't sit next to someone, which is a confidence building move. You get off the plane, no one sat next to me, you feel better. It just is. Whether the cost of that, meaning sometimes you're going to block a seat you could have sold, right, gets too high, meaning that I'm leaving too much money on the table by not selling these seats. And at some point, that economic equation is going to flip. And the airlines that are blocking seats are going to say, we're just not going to do that anymore. And I don't think that that's going to be a big news story when that happens. Again, because you have about half the industry not doing it today. And you don't see, there doesn't seem to be pressure for those carriers to match the seat blocking. And so you've got airlines blocking and airlines not blocking. And maybe an individual who does enough research says, I'm not going to fly an airline that's not blocking the seat. I will fly one that doesn't um, or that does block the seat. And maybe the people getting off the plane feel better about their flight when they get off a JetBlue or a Southwest flight where the seat was blocked. And maybe they feel that flight was a bit too crowded when they get off an American United flight. And maybe that's going to have an effect over time. But the bottom line is that Long term, of course, airlines need to fill their seats to be profitable and to generate enough revenue to cover their cost structure. And in the meantime, talking about whether you're blocking the seats or not is probably something you're not going to make a huge public display about, but you'll promote it on your website. You'll remind people when they're booking on your website that you do this. But I think that the airlines are going to want the ability to pivot pretty quickly and start selling again when they can. It's a tough call. As a passenger, I want the blocked middle seat. On the other hand, I can totally understand American Airlines thinking, look, we just told 19,000 people they're about to be furloughed. How can we explain to them that we're not doing everything possible to bring in every penny that we can if we're under this financial stress. United and others thinking the same thing. Just to pull a quick Tony Reale on you uh, again, Ben, uh, I think it wasn't Scott Kirby per se, just to be precise, who, who said uh, it's a PR our stunt. I think it was somebody in their corporate communications department who said that. But of course, CorpCom speaks for United and Scott Kirby runs United. So presumably he's on board with that. We should mention also that American United and Allegiant, I know at least, there might be one or two others, are automatically letting people know if their flight is more than about 70% full, which which is the number where you become likely to sit next to a middle seat and giving you the opportunity to switch off of, of that flight and onto an emptier flight. So they're also taking measures, just not truly blocking the middle seats. Well, Ben... Uh, time next for our first listener question and then passengers behaving badly. But first, we want to thank Hotel Connections for their support. Hotel Connections is the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Visit hotelconnections.com. That's hotelconnections.com. Michael from Dallas writes, it's the 24th. So it was August 24th. This one came in just before our last show. And Spirit, Michael says, just canceled their October pilot furlough bid. This is great news. They achieved it by offering three, six, and eight-month leaves of absence at partial pay. This is unprecedented, and it's being duplicated at other airlines, too. Could this be the new gold standard to avoid the, quote, hire till you furlough, 
slash furlough till you hire unquote model the airlines go through <laughs> every decade or so. And that does seem to be the pattern, right? It's it's maybe less boom bust than it used to be, but it's still boom bust and we're in a bust right now. Ben, what about that? What Spirit did? I know Delta, again, as we're as we're speaking here, this could change before you listen to this, but uh, in a tough negotiation with its pilots where it's still planning to furlough almost 2000 pilots because it couldn't get the kinds of concessions that it felt it needed in order to avoid the furlough. So what about that? It, it, it spirit set a new standard there. I'm not sure it's a new standard, but it's a good pattern. Every airline has been working with their labor groups to try to make whatever reductions in staff are needed be voluntary, right? So, you know, you can decide now, maybe you want to leave the industry for good, or maybe you want to leave for, you know, six months or something like in this case, they have three, six and eight month leaves of absence. And, you know, we'll do something for you and not, and maybe protect your seniority, but we won't pay you as much in this time. And I think it's great that the spirit pilots sort of stepped up as a group and said, we'd rather have, you know, keep all of us here than see some people go away. There's a there's more of a risk at a spirit than somewhere else, I think, because they're a smaller airline. There's the risk that they might lose those pilots for good if they didn't do something like that. And now I'll be the first to admit it's not like pilot jobs are you know, crazy available right now, right? Because nobody's flying anything. But the likelihood that a spirit pilot might decide to go be a corporate pilot or or if they're not that senior, say I'll get on at a bigger airline later on or something like that is, is there. Less likely for an American pilot who's more senior or a Southwest pilot who's significantly more senior, right? They've got more invested in that company. That said, I think, and I said this a couple of weeks ago too, Seth, pilots as a group will often step up when things go poorly in the external environment. And no pilot right now is blaming their management. No pilot unit is blaming their management for COVID, right? It's not, you guys messed up. And so, you know, don't blame us for this. And so pilots and mechanics and flight attendants in general have have a pattern of sort of stepping up when things are bad, but then expecting the management to remember that when things are good again. And I think that's a fair thing. I think it's great what Spirit Pilots did. I don't think it's completely unprecedented. I'm not sure Michael's right about that, that it's unprecedented. Maybe in the United States it's happened. I know in Latin America, for example, where pilots have agreed rather than furlough some of us, we'll all take a cut and pay yeah. to keep everybody employed. So there's been some of that too. I do think that this is more of a sign of the times and the real, the real proof as to whether or not this means a new gold standard will be the next time Spirit has, has to renew their contract. How much does this action by the pilots play into their leverage in getting a new deal. And my sense is that something similar and broader is going on at Southwest Airlines, which has given its employees more time, said it's not going to involuntarily furlough or lay off anybody until the end of the year. But I think a lot of the work groups there are trying to figure out how to have some shared sacrifice 
to avoid involuntary job losses because, of course, it would be the biggest story of all if Southwest implemented any involuntary job losses given the fact that it hasn't done that in its half-century history. So that's something else to look at there. Another thing, Ben, you you mentioned sort of what else are pilots going to do, and I think that's something that's different about this crisis from any other that I can remember in the post 9-11 period, or even during the global financial crisis, if you were a U.S. pilot who got furloughed, you could go to Dubai and fly. Yeah, you have to make a lifestyle choice. Do I want to move my family there? Do I want to move my family to some other part of the world? But but it was a choice you could make. Or China, maybe. Yeah. Or China. Sure. Lots of places in the world that were hiring when U.S. airlines weren't. And what's different about this crisis is that it is so broad, that it is so widespread. And so, uh, you know, that's something I'm sure all of these pilots have in mind as they make these decisions that the people who are out of work it's not just a question of what kinds of sacrifices they're willing to make. There just aren't that many jobs out there anywhere in the world right now to a greater degree than was ever the case in the past. Ben, I don't know if you saw, but American Airlines is offering double miles toward lifetime elite status. That's its million miler program. Lots of airlines are offering various bonuses to get people into the air. But I don't think one man is going to get his millionth mile, even with the promotion. In fact, sounds like he's never going to be allowed to fly even another mile with American. Yes, this is passengers behaving badly. This one happened on a flight from Los Angeles to New York JFK. All this according to TMZ. And if you can't trust TMZ, who can you trust, right? Who can? No, I mean it's all good journals. I mean it's it's they do a good job for what they do, right? They got a hold of a video showing the man arguing with flight attendants after they told him, you guessed it, to keep his mask on. TMZ says, "quote We're told the passenger claimed he had a medical issue and needed air, but as you can see, he had no problem yelling and screaming about his flight experience with a buddy on the phone." In the video, a flight attendant tells the man, "quote." I love this part, Ben. Quote, I'm going to have your ass arrested, unquote. Sounds like when the flight landed, Port Authority cops tried to reason with the man, but he wasn't too cooperative. Still, his ass wasn't immediately arrested, but the incident is under investigation and charges could come later. You know, that makes me wonder if you have achieved a sort of lifetime status and you behave badly, does an airline treat you differently, you think? or on the other hand like you have more risk right i mean your your lifetime platinum let's say you have two million miles in that case with american i mean you're on one hand yeah there are people who are gonna have that sense of entitlement but on the other hand a lifetime ban no right (laughs) more so than than this guy who I'm going to guess he's just going to fly spirit next time. Well, you know, next- you know, Seth, you <laughs> yeah. know, Seth it, it does bring up this, this passenger's behaving badly brings up a point though. It is, it's not a law to wear a mask, right? It's a rule. It's a guidance for people from the CDC. And it's a rule most airlines have that if you're going to fly an airplane, you will wear a mask, but that's different than like wearing a seatbelt, which is you can get arrested for not wearing a seatbelt because that's a law. So I think it's interesting that the flight attendant says they were going to have him arrested. 
It's not surprising to me that he hasn't been arrested. I think Americans doing the right thing by making it an issue, by having him talk to police, and maybe by not letting him fly on the airline again until you don't have to wear masks or maybe forever. I think that's all right. And that's the right kind of consequence for this very bad behavior. But it's interesting that until it's a law, I don't know that you can arrest someone for breaking the law, right? I guess it's a failure to comply with crew member instructions. Which, That's right. Uh, which, which, which is a law. Which, uh, yeah, exactly. As we've all heard in the safety demonstration 10,000 times. Uh, well, up next, why do some lucky passengers on one shortish haul aircraft get to turn left when they board? Airlines Confidential will be right back. Seabury Capital Group is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime, and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seabury, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Time now for another question. Joe from Tampa writes, why do airlines choose to configure the main cabin door to be positioned at 2R on a 757? I think it means 2L, left over anyway. Instead of having the main cabin door at the front like all other narrow bodies. Ben, I think the answer to that is because is because it exists, right? A 757. <laughs> so like a 737 or an A320, or if you go farther back, 727s and all that, the, the, the actual doors are at the front in front of all the seats and at the back. That's right. Whereas a 757 has that second set of doors, just like a wide body aircraft. And so... 757s, of course, are, are rapidly disappearing now because of well, because they're older and airlines don't need as many airplanes, and so they're retiring the oldest planes. But up until not too long ago, you could have commonly gotten on one. And airlines, when they pulled up to a gate, could put the jet bridge at the first set of doors, the one doors, right? One one L, it would be, uh, or at the second. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but it's just more convenient to have it as the second because that way you don't have to have people passing through the first class cabin so the flight attendants can do their pre-flight drinks and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, the people sitting in first class get to feel cool and turn left. Who doesn't want to turn left when they board an airplane, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and sure, if you're on like Etihad, turning left might be, uh, you know, because you're the super elite going to like first class instead of business class. And if you're on Delta, it might mean domestic first class instead of uh, <laughs> main cabin you know, or American or something. But anyway, we all want to turn left, right? That, it's as simple as that, right? Or am I missing something? Well, I think it's, I think it's that, but I think there's a reason there's that second door on the 757, which is because the plane is really long. 
And it's, it's longer than other narrow bodies. So if you think about the geography of the airport, if you only had a single door in the front of that plane, the tail of that plane would stick much further out into the ramp area than, than say, a 320 or a 737 or something like that because the plane is a lot longer. So by having that second door, it allows the plane to pull in closer to the terminal yeah. and still have it sort of not mess up the airport crowd. So I think I'm not saying that, you're right. They use the second door because they have it, but they have it because the plane is so long that they realize that without that door, it might not fit as well at some airports. And in fact, the 757-300 was, if I'm not mistaken, the longest narrow, but I say was, I mean, there just aren't that many in service now, the, the longest narrow body of all. That's a plane you would know well because – Continental was one of the few airlines that had those, uh, the Dash 300. Well, and I think United's flying the Dash 300 from Dullest to Denver right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I they are. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, okay. Well, I, I'm going to one-up you on on geeking out here, okay? So, so when, I hear, when I hear 2R and everything – you know, one thing I miss on the U.S. airlines is that if I'm not mistaken, and I know if I'm mistaken, we will be corrected by our listeners, but I don't think there's any other airline where the flight attendants, or I should say there's, I don't think there's any airline left where the flight attendants call out the doors on the PA when they, when they arm or disarm the doors and, and do their cross check. And that used to be a part of the procedure at some of the airlines, the last one I remember to do all of them was at old U.S. Airways, which you will remember too, because that's when you were when you were there before the merger with America West, when they would, you know, you'd hear flight attendants arm or disarm your doors, depending on whether you were going or coming, and cross check, and then at each set of doors, the flight attendants would call out one L one R, if it was a seven fifty seven, two L two R, four L four R, right. Uh, and and uh, or if it was a smaller plane, just one L one R, two L two R, and then when they merged with America West and they merged the procedures, they adopted the America West procedure of not doing that, so that went away there. And then there was still American, which would where they wouldn't name all the doors, but they would say front doors, aft doors, and then sure enough, another merger with U.S. Airways there. Uh, that went away and you don't get to hear that anymore. And I used to love hearing the flight attendants call out the doors. I, I actually agree with you on that. I think it was kind of a cool thing, but it's one less thing they have to do and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least they just do it quietly. Yeah, well, right. if you have a question for us, you can call us 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it for you on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Finer Wine is next, but first we want to thank Clear for supporting the show. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. Uh, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, 
you have a complaint. Yes, Seth. Zviad of Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm not sure I pronounced his name right, but I hope I did, Zviad, it's S-V-I-A-D, was flying on Spirit Airlines. And he writes, they literally have no shame. During the check-in, they told me that my bag was a little big, but still okay to carry as free. But at the gate, they told me the bag is too large and charged me $65. I told them that the lady told me the bag was okay to go for free, but they just apologized and charged me shamelessly. Very dishonest company. Yeah, and I, I come from one of those cultures that has too many consonants in, in words. I think Ziad <laughs> looks looks right to me. Z-V-I-A-D. What do you think, Ben? He was told one thing and then told something else. Now, they have these charges. That's true. It seems like the question here is what he was told and, and consistency. This is a tough one. Because my initial reaction was to say this is a wine because what Spirit, as most airlines do, is they have bag sizers. And you can put check your bag and say this fits and it doesn't. And he probably knew that his bag didn't fit in the bag sizer. So he thought he was getting away with something. In fact, the check-in agent told him it's a little big, but you can get it on. So he knew that he was sort of getting a little favor, right? Because she said it was a little big. He probably knew it was a little big because he could have checked the sizer. So that part of it makes it a wine. But the fact that the ticket agent said you can carry it on for free makes it fine, I think. Because when that agent said that, that was the rule for him. And a different agent should have backed up the first agent. Now, if you're spirit, you probably say the first agent did the wrong thing. They shouldn't have said... It's a little big, but maybe the new kinder, gentler spirit does that. Right? <laughs> okay, right? And, yeah, but, but, I'm surprised. So, I, I have to say, I'm it. surprised that they that they said that. I I could imagine them saying, "Look, if you want to try carrying it through and see what happens, that's fine, but it's on you, right? I I can't make any promises because that bag's too big, and and then just leave it." in the hands of the customer. Well, that I could imagine. I think that's right. In And for Zviad, I think the challenge or part of the problem is if he had paid for the bag at the checking counter, it would have been less than $65. Yeah. yeah. And so he ended up getting charged more for that. But I get the sense, at least the way he wrote it, that he was kind of encouraged to do that. Yeah. Now, if they said it the way you said it, then it's a complete whine. But if they said it the way he wrote it, I'd say that they should have held up to that. Right. I remember one time I flew Spirit. I took a bag that was like 45 pounds and Spirit, unlike other airlines, the limit without getting charged more is 40 rather than 50 pounds. And it it was just a little bit too – obviously, it was like 42 pounds. I could have either taken out two pounds or he might have said, okay. Anyway, so in one direction, they did not charge me. And I was like, okay, great. And in the other direction, they charged me the extra whatever it was, 10 bucks or something. And – and of course I understood, you know, I, I knew that I was just lucky in, in one direction that was clear to me, but I never had the expectation that I would get away with that a, a, a second time. And so that's what it all comes down to. And so I think the person here who was most wrong was that first agent by not at least setting the expectation properly. And then secondarily, yeah, once he's been told that, Somebody else needs to honor that and then just deal with it later. Hey, don't put us in that the the gate agent. Hey, don't put us in that uh, in that position of having to honor something 
that's simply not standard because then the next thing you have another passenger who wasn't told that who wants the same thing and it's a it's a slippery slope now i gotta ask you ben i said it in the intro what would you have said presented with that because i mean you were always portrayed as this evil no exceptions CEO at Spirit who, you know, everything was by the book and that was the point of the airline. If you don't like it, go fly another airline. Can, what, can you tell us honestly if somebody came to you at the time and said, we've got this situation, what, what would have been your reaction? I'll, I'll tell you what I, had, what I would have wanted the, my airport people to do in that situation. First of all, you'd want to make sure that that check-in agent understood the compliance rules, that it it, com- it fits in the sizer or it doesn't, right? There's not, there's no little big, it's a little big, so go try, right? I would try to change that. But then since the company, someone at the company said that, I would have wanted them to offer him the check-in price to carry on the bag at the gate. Yeah, yeah, split and the say, difference. And say, look, they told you that, but they were wrong. They should have charged you. We'll charge you what they would have charged you. And in fact, after the fact, if he just like paid the $65 and fumed about it, I actually might've been willing to refund that difference. Not the whole amount, but okay, if you'd have paid $50 at the check-in and you paid 60 at 65 at the gate, here's your $15, something like yeah, that. Yeah, rather than being penalized for for what the agent encouraged him to do. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. On final approach, now it does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbelts and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429. We'll play it on the air or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.